Hello and welcome to the year we started a podcast. It's a podcast born Phoenix-like from the ashes of last year's podcast. I am your co-host Jeff. Yeah, I'm your other co-host Nick. And this is a podcast where a couple of friends uh, that are half a continent apart that would like to come together and talk about some of the things that are fun and interesting to us. Nick, we are at week 42. Um, yeah. Yeah, 42 weeks is a long time. Uh, I was talking about this with my wife, and I realized that uh, 42 weeks, if you are uh, if you are with child, is like the final moment at which point you'll be induced into labor to have a baby. <laughs> with child. So I, I'm not sure how to compare Connect that to that our podcast. To it, yeah. But uh, yeah. at this point, we should have a podcast baby if we were ever going to have one, Nick. I think that's a weird <laughs> thing to say. That's a weird thing. To, th- actually, Jeff, this podcast is my baby. So, Aww, yeah, how Aww. cute, how cute. That is gross. I that is very gross. I regret all of. <laughs> I don't know what I expected that to right. turn into. It the wasn't podcast my is done. <laughs> I apologize to all our listeners. This is now the second ashes. This is the ashes of this year's podcast. <laughs> we're done. Yeah, this this podcast is born from the ashes of the podcast from uh, 15 seconds ago. Uh, yes. Nick, I want to talk about smells and taste and sounds that bring you back. Uh, that's my, my intro topic I, this week. I, I, had, I had some things. Okay, let me into your world. I, I'm stoked on this. Okay, the the reason. Okay, actually, <laughs> this is a funny anecdote. Um, this is kind of what spawned this whole thing, and honestly, I had kind of forgotten about it because I started thinking about all those things that uh, that I had like memories of. But the reason why I even thought of this in the first place was I. So I have a uh, almost five year old son and a two and a half year old daughter, and they go over to my mom's house on a couple days of the week for childcare while my wife works uh, from home and I go to work in the office. And uh, one of the things that my mom and my son and daughter do is they hunt locust shells, is what they call it, I suppose. Um, okay. And I guess let me let me let me tell you. We'll let, take a pause from this story because I promise okay. it's a good one. Um, so one of my most vivid memory, like if I hear this noise, it brings me back to my childhood. Is uh, the sound of just the entire swarm of uh, cicadas during the summertime. I was going to ask you about cicadas if they were out there because they were, they, we just had uh, like last month there was cicadas. uh, I think that woke up or like came out of hibernation. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, 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 it's really good. So first off, let me say, I have a really hard time calling them cicadas. Like that's the right way to say it. Right. Like cicadas. I think that's the way I've always heard it. I didn't mean to do the whole pedantic no, correcting. No, no, no. Like here's a th- here's the sort of thing about us uh, <laughs> uh, kids from the sticks here in Kansas. I for the longest time, the longest time. By the longest time, I mean from the time I was born until an hour ago when I was talking with my <laughs> wife. <laughs> I had always called these things locusts. Are oh. Uh, are you aware of the difference between cicadas and locusts, Nick? No, but I think of locusts as very destructive. I I don't I don't think of cicadas. Do you know what as... Do you know what locusts look like? No, are they are they like the same? No, they look like grasshoppers. 
Uh, this is a thing that I have learned. Do you, I, okay, you know, I, I'm going to assume that I know nothing at this point. I mean, <laughs> or like that I'm just like some kind of idiot. So like, do you know what gra- grasshoppers look like, Nick? Yes, I okay. do know what grasshoppers look like. I've got one bug down. Can you good. Google, can you Google cicada versus locust just to make sure like this matches what you would expect? I just, you know, as soon as I typed in V, it knew I was going for cicada versus locust. All right. Well, I feel uh, a little bit validated by Google there i mean i'll tell you that cicadas look mean they look mean in relative to this this one image that i have comparing them is uh quite quite mean um the, but the do locusts do locusts look like grasshoppers to you yeah okay well at least that i have validated the uh, the so cicada is much less so the the wings are way more pronounced no the, cic- the cicadas real. are a completely different thing yeah in my in my brain though for the last like I said, <laughs> up until an hour ago, um, in my mind, what a locust looked like was a cicada. Apparently, I'm some kind of moron uh, because, yeah, cicadas are uh, these big, uh, gnarly-looking fellas uh, that shed their shells on all the trees at my parents' house uh, throughout my entire childhood, and now my son uh, enjoys finding their shells and collecting them. One of the things like we're going to talk about, like I just I that sound of a bunch of cicadas in uh, like in Kansas, especially like it lasts probably a couple few months. It is so, so loud outside for like from probably late June, maybe early July uh, until like the beginning of September. That's so cool because. Because when you hear cicadas out here, I, I don't think we have, like, giant swarms of them or whatever. I was like, I've heard them before, but never in, like, massive quantities. And I've seen, I've, I've watched YouTube videos uh, because Jen's like, no, they're really loud. Uh, and, yeah, like, I'm like, that's not my experience with, with cicadas at all. It, it, that, that's so cool. Yeah, and, and maybe I will not be lazy and actually just go record uh, out of my parents' house uh, one of these next couple days before we release this episode. But the, the sound that they make uh, at my parents' house, because they have a huge, huge tree that was like, honestly, it was really big when we first moved in uh, back 25 years ago at the property that they live at now. It is absolutely enormous now. And the amount of cicadas cool. that have turned that into their home is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, That's awesome. For the three months or however long they're there. Um, it is very, very loud and very, very cool. It reminds me of my parents every time we hear it. Where we live, we can definitely hear it at night, but it is nothing compared to uh, about there, out there on their property. Figured I would drive over here and take a quick recording and kind of get a feel for what my uh, childhood was like, the sounds and, and such. It's actually quite beautiful. Um, there are get out here. There are basically no clouds in the sky uh, where we are at. So I have the beautiful mix of absolutely beautiful noises and, uh, and since we don't live in a big city I'm right now I'm in the middle of nowhere in my parents house um, absolutely beautiful night sky I can see hundreds of stars um, and off in the distance where there is clouds there's an absolutely beautiful 
lightning storm going on, and then this is the this is the tree that I talked about in the podcast. Well, you can stand under and hear this. But Nick, the reason why I say this was um, <laughs> the thing that reminded me of all that. My son, like I said, so cicadia, or cicadia, I keep saying cicadias because I've, I've honestly, the amount of times that I've said locust compared to uh, cicada is probably 70,000 to three at this point in my life. <laughs> um, I'm getting used to it still. I feel, I feel very seen, but no, anyway, <laughs> they, they, uh, they shed okay. their skin or their shells or whatever. And it's like when we were growing up, that was one of the things we would do. You know, you do what you can here in the country. Uh, but yeah, collect their shells. And since that was a thing that I did when I was a kid, of course, that's what my mom does with my son and daughter. And they collect uh, cicada shells. Uh, there's been a few different times they've like sent them home with us. I'm like, what am I going to do with these things, mom? I appreciate it so much. Um <laughs> But they'll, they'll collect and put them in bags and stuff like that. Uh, he like he, especially my son. He loves it a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's almost okay when you give, give it to the, the child because the child's just happy to have them around no matter what. But right, 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 you, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. almost okay. But, it is okay. Yeah. Um. So fast forward. Uh, my parents are out in Colorado right now, and they uh, have me come take care of their dogs, and we have some chickens and stuff like that, and. Uh, so I, I, I handle all that stuff. Okay. Like I trade it off with my brother and sister and we all take our turns. But what I normally do there is, uh, they, they always have like so much food and I'm just like, I'm just going like, to, I'm going to take my tax of, of some snacks or something while I'm there. Uh, if I'm going to have to show up to their house and t- let their dogs out and do all this other stuff, like, just- I just want to say, I, I, uh, I also collect that tax on my parents whenever I'm in their home, and it's not I'm not always in their home because they, I'm doing them a favor so much as sometimes they are doing me a favor. But I still collect the tax. I just so yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's very important. It's only fair. Um, it's only fair. Anyways, uh, the other day I uh, was there and I was collecting my <laughs> my good son tax, and I grabbed this bag of chocolate covered like peanuts or nuts of some sort, and I opened it up. And as I was reaching in, I realized that they were uh, cicada shells, and I've <laughs> never jumped out of my skin so hard. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah, it was so, it was very bad, very bad. I did not collect my tax that day for didn't sure. Didn't dig in. You didn't dig in? I, I did not dig in. It was like, well, it was on the counter, and I'm like, oh, food on the counter. It's little chocolate things, like, which isn't outside the things they would normally have. Like, that's not <laughs> unheard of. And, uh, but no, it was uh, what I would categorize as the polar opposite of that. So, uh, it was I very disturbing. Jump. I love the jump you'd be making there. You're just at first, you're like, ooh, a nice little tree. Oh, no. No, and we talked, I think, episode or last episode or the episode before. Like, I'm a very jumpy person. Like, that was an example of which I jumped very bad. Uh, I believe believe it. Anyways, Nick, so uh, that's just kind of an anecdote. I want to talk about uh, just the the sounds, the smells, the tastes that really bring you back to a moment in uh, your childhood or some sort of recent memory. Like, you can't help but have that be something that cements you back in a memory. Do you have any uh, examples of anything like that? 
Yeah, so I, I've got two. When you brought this up to me, I feel like I've we've talked sounds so much that like I don't want to overdo the sound thing because I've talked about music and stuff on this. We've talked about music and memory before, and it was uh, good, but you guys can listen to our other podcasts on music and memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, for smell, so weirdly enough, the smell of the ocean, like any, and even okay. like... Yeah, even like dirty beaches <laughs> kind of bring me back to both like my very young childhood and also my, when I first moved out in college when I was 18, me and my uh, my four roommates got this uh, small, small rented this small, small house uh, on a beach near a community college while we went to community college there. And we were like a block from the beach and every day walking home and like parking outside and having to like walk down the street from the parking area to the the, the house. It was like you could always have that salty, salty smell of uh uh from the beach, very um, sandy vibes, and I I can I feel like I'm 18 and like going home and like hopefully gonna have a bonfire <laughs> that night or something dumb. You're just just wasting time like every 19 year old who's got their first taste of freedom and thinks they're a, a proper adult. Like I, that's where I'm at when I get uh. That is, a, that is a very, that is a very good one, Nick. Like, because like, I, I feel really how it. strong it is because obviously I didn't have the same experience as you as that sure. was like a, you know, a part of my formative years or anything. But I, I definitely have that same sort of thing. It's just tied to a, a handful of vacations that I've had. Uh, right. But it is very, very strong, very distinct. Yeah, like that, that is very interesting. Is very, yeah, exactly. Beach smell is not like offensive, really, but it's definitely very present, right? So there's that. Uh, wh- wh- do you have any other ones besides the cicadas, Nick? Do you know what? Uh, so this is <laughs> you. You're the one who turned me on to Rise Against back in like 20. I did. Thir- or not 20. I almost said 2013. 10, right? Uh, there's a particular song by Rise Against uh, called uh, "Life Less Frightening." And it was a part of Nick and I back in 2008 or nine. I looked on YouTube. I found the YouTube clip. So if you if you can find the actual YouTube video of this, uh, it's me and Nick doing a, uh, playing a video game where this was the back half uh, of that video game, uh, and that was the soundtrack that I edited the video to. We uh we we did some stuff back that long ago. Uh, but it says no. eleven years ago, just so you know. So okay. this video, I one, I know your, uh, I know exactly what that YouTube name is because that YouTube channel yes. name is because <laughs> I am that guy, and I want to let you know that from it's it's got one hundred and sixty three views from eleven years ago. I am probably fifty of them. I am probably, <laughs> I'm probably I'm probably the other seventy three. <laughs> there you go. Right? So we we got like thirty to account for. They're probably the other friends we were goofing around with. Um. But yeah, no, I, that is something that like, that was such a special time of being a young adult and having a group of friends and being able to do stuff and have fun playing video games and having the time to edit videos and make stuff. And like, it was such a cool thing. I was very proud of what we had done. And I had listened to that song 70 billion times. I know, right? Uh, no, that's that's totally fair. I actually uh, associate that song with this this too. And also, I will say, I, I love that that time period. This is the exact same time period I'm talking about. I mean, uh, so this is October 26, 2009. And I moved out in uh, June of 2010. Oh my gosh. I would have been 18. So, like, this is literally the exact same time period. And I think there's just something special for everybody about, like, 
when you're first an adult and you don't have all of the full adult responsibilities, you don't necessarily have like a, a family. And I know this is a very privileged outlook because a lot of people have to grow up faster <laughs> than I did. But like, you know, there, there's such a special thing about like just getting to enjoy friendship and like getting to kind of explore your own passions and adulthood like on your own terms a little bit. It's good. Yeah, it was it was a very special time. I enjoy it very much. It is immortalized by a dumb video I made using multiple angle, like multiple uh, captures from different people, and yeah, man, like, edited together. Like it was all very, it was a very cool time. I was very, I, I very much so look uh, look on that fondly. Um, okay, get here. Uh, so smell and taste. We haven't talked about either of those. You have any any for either of those two? Oh, I, I had I had smell covered, but uh, okay. But I've got a taste one, too. I know this is dumb, but you know what I really, really love? Is I really love uh, crappy churros, like, plasticky churros that you get at a, uh, that you get at, like, any amusement park ever. I feel like every amusement park of all time sells, like, a $5 churro for some reason that's $5. It is true. It is true. And and it's stale every time, but it's also really cinnamony and good, and, like, that is absolutely... Like, I'm, like, eight years old following my sister around Knott's Berry Farm or uh, ten years old following her around Great America or Six Flags or whatever all over again whenever I have one of those, which is very, very rare. But anytime anyone brings up churros, I can, like, taste it, and I'm like, oh, man. Oh, Stephanie, I appreciate my older sister letting me tag along and be the the dorky younger brother she had to watch over while I – and, uh, yeah, it's, it's good times. Oh, man. That 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 is a good one for sure. I'm gonna. I don't know. I don't Who know. Cares? Should this I, should I, 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 should I do this? <laughs> I have I have two sentimental ones and then one like just weird one that is, lay it on me. Okay, lay them all on me in whatever order. Okay, I'm gonna do the most sentimental, which is uh, so my my grandma passed away like 15 years ago. But the thing that I remember remember most was uh, she would like she. So they had like my my mom's side of the family. There's uh, like flipping, I don't know, like f- 30 grandkids, <laughs> like is absolutely <laughs> buck wild. And Damn. we would, we would all get together. And, uh, every time we would have a family gathering, my grandma would make malts using like this recipe that probably was from like 1950. And, oh, that's cool. and it was the exact same from the time that I was three years old, probably till the time that I was, or probably 17 or so, but it was absolutely just like that flavor. Like my mom still does it quote unquote, but there's just nothing that can ever like quite tie to that exact thing that she did. It was, it was very unique. Like she had Hershey's chocolate from like a, like a rectangle can that I don't even know how, like she found that. Like it very much looked like it was from like some grocery store in Do the sixties. Grandparents all like had their like grocery shop that like <laughs> nobody else so. had. Like they had, they I all have like so. the, the mom and pop. Yeah, it's great. But uh, no, it was very special. Um, the other thing, well, was, let me jump in. Okay. One, uh, your mom made those malts for us when we were out there. Oh yeah, the and, and yeah. They were they were fire, dude. So kudos <laughs> to your mom. I, if if she can't find the the Aww. OG chocolate, that's uh, that's okay because she's still doing it good. Uh, Aww, but that- two. That's 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 very special. Thank you. Uh, of course. Um, and then not not quite as a uh, <laughs> wait. So my favorite part about this is in my head. If, she, if your grandma had like thirty grandkids, at some point she's probably just like, I can't, I can't <laughs> form like a meaningful relationship with all. Of, if I just give them sweets, it'll be fine. If I just make like a dope <laughs> sweet, <laughs> they'll all love me. I won't have to know anything about their lives. It's fine. <laughs> 
you know, the, you know what the crazy kids? thing about that grandma is? She is the one who got me started on video games. She got me addicted to the original Zelda back in the day. Like, oh, nice. She is the freaking best. Like, I that like there are so many special memories I have of video games. That's uh, so cool. But like back in the day, is Maltz and Zelda and Mike Tyson's Punch Out. <laughs> Dude, can I just tell you that still sounds like a great day right now? Like, I want to go have fun. <laughs> <Right? balls. laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like oh, oh man. man, she was she was living the life back in the, the she knew how to 90s. do it. She, she That's knew awesome. how to do it. Um, oh my god! But no, my, my and then with my mom, like she makes the most basic uh, um, uh, breakfast burritos ever. Like it's just like sausage, cheese, uh, and tortilla, and somehow it's like the best thing ever. And like I've had it my <laughs> entire life. I, it's it's almost certainly no offense, mom. It's almost certainly just because I've had that since I was like five years old. Uh, and like, still how to do it, dude. They, but like, <laughs> if they if you make something consistently for that long that is even remotely good, it is like baked in my brain as like the best thing ever. She made it when we had uh, both of our kids, like so we could just warm them up. And oh nice. man, it's like it's like a blast from the past of delicious breakfast goodness. And I love me some breakfast food. So I have so my my grandfather passed when I was seven, and so like I don't have strong memories of him, but like anything jungle book related he was like he read jungle book to us as like little little kids me and my sisters and stuff uh yeah and like i don't know i don't know to this day really why uh he was like a lawyer but like and and he was a an athlete and he was uh a vet and all this stuff but all i remembered about him at all was jungle book and his dog was named uh was named blue and he wanted to get another dog named mowgli but so like there's that association. I, I don't know. I, I love those kinds of like just little little things that, that bring you back or bring people to mind or whatever. It's, it's so good. It doesn't. I mean, yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to dive right into the rest of what I want to talk about because I've spent so much time <laughs> making notes on this and I'm very, very excited. I'm um, good. I'm soaked. Yeah. 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 Um, so, Nick, you you do a biking stuff. I hear yeah, right. I, might, I might have occasionally. About it. Yeah, we've done forty-two episodes, so I've probably brought it up about six hundred times or so by now, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. At, at least you know, seven <laughs> to fifteen times an episode. Um, about there, Nick. I, I, I definitely. I, I promise. I promise. I promise. I promise. I pay attention. I don't really know the scale of which your rides are. Can you describe, like, if you go out? I do know, that, like, yeah. Obviously, you go. Uh, you, actually, what what am I talking? Like, just you. You tell the listeners, like, what is a typical ride for Nick? If you're going out, you have a good time. Like, this kind of typical of what you go um, and work out at. So usually, I I'm lucky enough that there's a lot of of good riding here. Uh, it's. Uh, so like, and when I say here, I mean within like half an hour of me. There's a bunch of different spots that we that me and uh, I usually go with like I I'll ride by myself if uh if I it's been a while since I've been able to ride with anyone. But I have two brother-in-laws who ride, and I have two friends that ride, and my dad rides. So like, there's up to what is that? Five, uh, six of us um, total that might go, and I probably go three times a week, two times two times a week depending. Um and uh. Usually it's like two to three hours of riding with that being like anywhere from like eight to 15 miles. Uh, I think the most I've done in a ride is like 18 miles, uh, several thousand feet of elevation gained. Uh, usually it's like the the riding out here is um, 
and not that this like will necessarily mean anything to anyone else but it's very slow grinding steep uphills into just outright downhills uh so like you know half an hour of just grinding out like a mile or two uphill to get three or four minutes of uh fast uh long downhill yeah um do you know what your <laughs> typical elevation gain is on kind of more, one of the more grueling uphills or is that like you the, have to guess the most i i ever really do is about three thousand feet of elevation gain dang that's really impressive dude like dude I, we're gonna get into that uh but yeah that's it, really impressive i will say that one is um i think it's like slightly easier than most of my other like feet of elevation gain because i i think that like i i think that for me and like i don't know if this is universally true i'm not like i don't follow like road cyclists and cross-country cycling stuff but um it's it's a more gradual climb the days that we do three thousand feet uh which is pretty rare but uh it's a more gradual climb and a lot more of it's road climbing which feels to me like there's less resistance than uh than uh climbing on a on a trail or yeah yeah no for sure um well you say you have a little less familiarity with uh road cyclists uh we're gonna talk about some road cyclists you want to take a take a stab at where i'm i'm slowly getting us toward here nick (laughs) yeah i assume that we're going towards something with olympic uh, not olympics Olympics. okay so something to do with with, uh with cross country or road cycling let me in your world it's the Tour de France. <laughs> oh, the Tour de France. Oh, duh, duh. fair. Yeah, um, Nick. Here, I just before we dive into kind of the history, and then man, there's so many different turns. We'll see how this goes. I have a You're whole good. bunch of different avenues that we can go down. Um, so the reason why I asked you what your uh, more rigorous uh, appeals are. In the Tour de France, they have different sections that they do. They have their time trials, they have the more of like flat stuff, and then they have their uh, client, their uh, mountain sections. Um, right. Sections is not the right word. What's the right word, Nick? It is called uh, stages. Stages St- is the uh, word stage. I'm looking for. Man, I was so yeah. good. Man, I'm so glad uh, that I've done so you much. You can edit me out, <laughs> me saying that's not good. <laughs> not okay. <clears throat> stages <laughs> we'll see if i can fit that in um but no they they have all the different stages and on their uh mountain stages they have some pretty interesting uh, interesting quote-unquote uh uh statistics on things that they do on some of their more strenuous stages they will climb um over the of the last uh, few miles they'll climb around four thousand feet at a 10 to 15 percent grade which is pretty impressive but also honestly yeah, that's not brutal. not all that dissimilar to what you just described they do however bike around 100 or so miles before that uh uphill like as a slight asterisk oh my gosh <laughs> I, and I, I do want to hear like your perspective on this because i am not a biker at all um, so if there's anything that's particular interesting, yeah, so, please take so me off. It's super funny because so like when I when I we've done like 18 mile rides like so uh, the, the, in particular uh, like I uh, the 18 mile loop that we that we did uh, I I I told my group I'm like I'm not that's not good for me to do that's that's, that's a painful <laughs> bad endeavor for me to I don't know I should do that again uh you know maybe maybe uh, you know it'd be different if i could if we had like longer breaks or whatever or we brought food or something but um like dude 
And to be clear, I, Nick, I that d- hold on. Do... To be clear, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. that is for a stage that they will continue to repeat multiple times. Right. <laughs> over the right. course of multiple days. Like, they do that every day for like six days in a row on the mountain stuff. Like, that. Yeah, Oh, it is it is wild. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. It is just no. I want to make sure everybody understands how ridiculous it is. It's not like they just did that one time and then they went to bed for a week. Because <laughs> that, no, right. that's what I would do. I'm pretty sure. Slash I die. Mean, <laughs> I mean, ditto. And dude, ten to fifteen percent grade is pretty is pretty grueling. Like it's I mean it's not it's not grueling for a couple of minutes. Like we have trails out here, like climbs that are like uh that are probably in that range of like 14 percent grade for like. I don't know. For me, they're like five or six minutes. You know what I mean? Um, but like anything that's super sustained is not not 10 to 15 percent. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there's stuff that's more in like the range of 10. But a 15 percent grade for a long enough time is a pain. That is a proper yeah. pain in the butt. And to do 4000 feet at that grade, that is absolutely brutal especially after like after you've ridden a hundred miles. <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> oh man um are you familiar with the tour de france at all very little very little okay i'll before i dive into this i do want to say there's one particular problem about covering this topic and this topic was actually submitted by uh lynn who has actually submitted one of our other topics in the past um i when i dove into this i definitely had uh Obviously, I knew what the Tour de France was, but, uh, you know, most of my exposure were from the Lance Armstrong years from my youth, uh, which have been since a little bit tainted. But uh, what I want to, well, the reason why I say, want to say any sort of uh, preamble for all this, I am spectacularly bad at pronouncing French words. (laughs) And so (laughs) I've mostly um, edited them to just be uh, phrases that I've made up. And I just I want to apologize to everybody who's able to say French things. I almost sent you one of the French pronunciation like things for how to say a particular uh, city that the Tour de France normally goes through. And okay. I just we we already do enough bad things that are not good <laughs> like <laughs> audio medium things. Like I don't need to be sending videos and uh, you know <laughs> pictures of no, totally uh, totally how, how you pronounce things. But anyways. <clears throat> So the Tour de France has been around since uh, uh, 1903, and I love love how this started. So this started because there was a newspaper guy who was like, hey, you know what would be cool is if we had a bicycle race that was really, really strenuous – and that we could cover it because we created it and that would increase sales. Like I just, I love the, the advertising birth of the tour de France from <laughs> all the way back in 1903. Uh, like it is very, very much in the DNA of this, this podcast. There is just, there's nothing that advertising cannot create. Apparently. I completely agree. I, I advertising, it runs our lives. Uh, it's just, yep. Yep. So there were, before the first uh, tour, uh, there were 15 entrants, which is not a lot, uh, from the initial ask. And one of the big reasons were it was uh, unpaid. And uh, back then, not a lot of people could afford to just, you know, take a couple weeks off of work and go ride a bike race. Uh, So they delayed the race a little bit. And 
ended up saying like, hey, if you can if you can maintain a certain pace uh, throughout the race, we will pay you the equivalent of a factory's workers wage. And once they did that, they had 60 participants. Wait, a factory's work- workers wage for just a day? No, every day while they were doing the race. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which I think uh, back then I mean. was like a, a couple weeks or something like that. Okay, okay. So they, they paid them like two weeks wages so that they could do the race. No, no, no. That, that, that makes sense. I just like, I bet like, I still, that's still like a rip. Like <laughs> your professional <laughs> athletes are getting paid factory wages. Well, yeah. And like the crazy thing is even, and I'll get into this a little bit, but uh, the, actually, you know what? I don't want to, I don't want to spoil anything. I, I, we, we need You're to fine, get to that fine. in time. So there was a 20,000 franc prize for or, or a prize pool for the the racers and okay. 6,000 some some odd went to the winner and uh so about a third or so um and in modern US dollars that converts to something like $210,000 today um damn which for a first race of the thing, like that's that's yeah, not yeah. too bad. That's a pretty well, good haul. You have to not you, but like I have to, and like brought the broad you have to remember that like when sports are new, there's just not the fun. Like it's not they they can't they can't they necessarily are not attracting enough people to have huge payouts and huge salaries and all that stuff. I mean, you you hear stories about like NBA players in the fifties and sixties had like other summer jobs. You know what I mean? Like they had other jobs exactly. because it was like yeah. And yeah. and you know what's crazy, Nick, is honestly adjusting for – and maybe I'm completely wrong here because this, this is like the thing where – this isn't like a thing that I just found on Wikipedia or found on a YouTube video or found in an article. This was yeah. Jeff doing his own research trying to figure this out. Um, right. I think I think if you convert that to, um, to US dollars uh, compared to what people earn today, I think it's a – about like half or a third of what they earn today it's not even that much more nowadays like that's like, all things considered and if you look at it um the, compared to other sports like this like like to compared to tennis or compared to golf like which i feel like are one of the bigger individual sports um, yeah that you can earn money at like it is it's significantly significantly less than than what you could earn in those uh but I do think there's a little bit of a reason why, and we'll get into that a little bit. Um, but it is—it's very interesting to know, so, like from the get-go, it was honestly not all that dissimilar of a compensation to what it is today. I wonder if um, I wonder if uh, that part of that is just that, like, it, that mountain biking doesn't really—or not mountain biking, sorry—that uh, ro- that road that biking and cross-country races like this and. Uh, I know that that's not technically a cross-country race. Road racing is not cross-country racing, but it's a similar format. I wonder if it's just not as conducive to getting to, like, really show off an athlete. Like, you don't have... you. There's so many racers. There's, uh, like, so little time to, like, really watch them individually. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? No, it's a very good point. Um, And and honestly, I think that is probably a huge chunk of it. you, you know, like I, growing up, uh, and I did you have, did you have the same experience of uh, being very, very much aware of Lance Armstrong during his time? But other than that, no experience with the Tour de France at all. Exactly. I, I still don't know that I could name another Tour de France winner. <laughs> yeah, neither could I. Going into and this, I, and I mean, I, I used to watch uh, Sports Center, so I would see like the highlights and stuff from it. Sure, and whatever. Of if there was like a big crash or something, yeah. 
But like even as a person who literally bikes as like their main uh, physical hobby, yep. uh, doesn't know Tour de France people. And I feel like that is kind of indicative of why that is the way that it is now uh, with just compensation and recognition of the athletes that do it. Um, well, man, this is very hard for me because I want to jump. So like there's so many things that I've researched on this. I um, so I, I um. Can, can I um, interrupt with something like yeah, this? Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't want to derail your topics because, because yeah. So um, uh, on the subject of like climbs and grades for, for me, for to give people perspective or whatever, and not that like that my perspective would matter at all. Um, but there's a climb out here that we do that I, we very rarely do it um, because I despise it so much. Like me, one of my brothers just absolutely despise it. I usually do it in about like, it looks like 22 to 24 minutes and it is one mile at 13.6% grade, and I absolutely cannot do this climb twice. <laughs> I can't, or, or sorry, I cannot do this climb more than, more than twice. We always do it twice in a day, and it's like, doing this climb, oh, man. it just brutalizes my body, and I do it at like 2.4 miles an hour, <laughs> and like, I can't imagine What does doing that this, equate to this, on kilometers per hour? 2.4 to kilometers per hour. 3.8. Uh, 3.8 kilometers per hour. Yeah, I, and that's, I will, that's I will for let, 700 feet, Jeff. 700 will, whole feet. I will let you know you would not do well in oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Would oh, shoot. Oh, no. I'm oh, going no. to skip my notes a little bit. Okay. Um, hold, hold on. Hold on. I, I'm, I'm defending myself here to the, the non-existent <laughs> argument. I'm also doing this with beefy enduro tires that grip that are grippy on dirt and yada. I don't yeah, care. I'm sure uh, you would do. I, I'm sure you would do probably like 30 times better if you had I, I road tires no, I don't on think the I road. would do 30 times better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just let you know that's what the tour people do. <laughs> they, just, wait, so they, they go uphill at 13% grade at like 40 miles an hour? Uh, not or, 40, sorry, no, 40 kilometers an hour? Uh, yeah. Yeah, really? I think, I think that's so. that's wild. They at thirteen percent grade. Yeah, I don't know if it's exactly that, but um, I do know when they are uh, the the average is something like forty kilometers per hour um, throughout the all the things, and uh, when they are getting close to the end of the race, they will typically have to push. Uh, I almost said end of the race at the end of each stage, every single day for the uh, twenty whatever days it is. They will uh, finish the last few, or not last, not even the last few. It's like the last ten kilometers at uh, like uh, fifty to sixty kilometers per hour, and then the last bit almost. It seems to be independent of whether or not they're going uphill. I don't know how these people do what they do. Um, uh, yeah, I wouldn't understand. I, I wouldn't understand being able to do that going uphill. So the the reason I say is um, according to Strava, which is Strava is is not reliable for perfect speeds and stuff. But that the uh, the person who has the fastest time on this out here like of anybody uh and they have it by almost a minute which makes me think it might have been an e-bike but is it 7.7 miles an hour that's like a dude i mean if they can pull it that that's amazing that's insane well regardless even if it's yes. flat land uh they do finish uh up to uh 70 to 80 kilometers per hour um on the end of each stage so it, i feel yeah, like uh, that's pretty quick on, yeah, on downhills. I mean, that that's so terrifying to me on the the bikes that they're on, and like not just the bikes that they're on, but like on just at raw pavement. Because I mean, I, I I'll get up to to similar things on that. Like if I'm on like a really open uh, trail for a little while, like on a fire road for a little while, but not not for long, and I don't like it. 
and these guys just normalize doing it as part of a race with like 18 other riders right around them. And I, I, that's, that's wild. So the first time that this was done, uh, the winner was three hours ahead of the runner up. So not super, uh, not super close there. In the early days, it was actually pretty, pretty flippin' brutal. Um, the very first time, twenty-one out of sixty riders finished, uh, and it, like in other races, like as few as like eighteen or fifteen percent or something like that of the riders finished. Nowadays, it's like close to ninety percent or something like that. Um, yeah. Okay. But the the early days were a little bit wild because they had to, uh, since obviously it wasn't a known thing, they had to dodge people on the road. They had to dodge horses and carriages and um, there were <laughs> reports of fans of other riders throwing nails on uh, <laughs> against the, the teams that they didn't like. Hey, hey guys, don't do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> like that. And I'm, again, I'm going to kind of jump around here because I, I do like kind of this story. Hey, so do you want to take a stab while I scroll down here what the youngest winner of the Tour de France is? I'm going to guess like 19 or 17. Dang, or like 19 yeah. is exactly 19? right. Good yeah. job. Uh, it's Henry Cornet. Um, he was the youngest winner of the Tour. However, he was not the first person to cross the finish line in that year. Um, it was 1904, which you'll note is the second year of the Tour de France. Uh, oh, damn. Do, okay. Do you want to take a stab at what happened? Like, I just, I want you to think, think, take it. I've already, I've given you some examples of some cheating that's happened. You can't pick from any of those. Um, wait, wait, frame the question for me again. Okay. Okay. Well, I, let me give you one last point of reference. Okay. Nowadays, the, uh, people racing in the Tour de France don't, uh, they do not race overnight. Right. Back okay. in the day, in the, starting they from could. 1903, they could. It was basically as long as you could go race across oh, well, this country. That's, see, that's this is why the 19 year old won it back then is because he just had Coca Cola, which had cocaine in it, and he was. <laughs> that's not, well, that, man, that, this is one of the avenues we're not going to take because, like, my goodness, the history of uh, drug of abuse drugs? in the yeah. Tour de France is crazy. Uh, we're not going to talk about that though. Um, but no, so let's let's take that as a side. Uh, you could go all night, and why did this guy who did not finish first, but actually quote unquote won the Tour de France? Like, what what happened? Do you think? Um, dude, Nighttime. I don't know. I I, I I would just think that he. Uh, so so I would just think that he finished at a time when there's no one around, or like something, or like when he wasn't allowed to finish, or something like that, right? Like, or am I crazy? Like, did he? It's, Break the it's, rules honestly, in some it's, it's not a super fair question. No, so he he was the only one that finished in like I think it was like the top six or ten or something like that that did, that did not get disqualified because since everybody was doing stuff at night, it was especially back in 1904 extremely difficult to like know what was happening with people. And turned out, uh, all the people that finished ahead of him took a train for a good part of the ride. <laughs> 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 Got called out and subsequently disqualified. So I've, seen this, I've seen this a lot. I know that this happens in uh, like marathons and stuff. Yeah, too, it does. Like, it's wild. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. I've, I've watched a clip of someone getting caught on this where she was like, there was like a, a, a woman's marathon race and this woman like 
trails off and to me it's very obvious and she like dips around and she's got her head <laughs> bolting all over the place as she like gets into like what is as exact like literally just a taxi <laughs> like lady oh, you're on man. camera i think there's you're a, a there's also an instance of that happening with some twins uh i think also oh. in the women's marathon where one of them like ducks into a bathroom or something like that and then that's so funny uh, the one pops out of a bathroom six miles later or something crazy. It's so crazy. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, I do feel like uh, I remember something like that. I mean, shoot, you could even just we just do really well with that just from an endurance standpoint, right? Like, just let one do half the race so that they can go all out for the first half and then, t- you know, like, that'd be t- too good. Um, I, I, I'm sorry, this is a super derail, but have we talked about the um, the Morris twins in the NBA? Uh, maybe on our uh, Patreon podcast, but there's, this- like, something where... Maybe they've switched places in the playoffs there's, or something like there's, that. There's people who believe, and there's like long lists of, of reasons why that they that the uh, the two Morris twins of the NBA who are like literally even get the exact same tattoos except for one on their chest that says like so under their shirts that say their names or something. There's reason to believe that one of them got hurt in the playoffs one year and like rolled his ankle, and so his brother subbed in for him the next game, uh, and like. I just think this is the funniest conspiracy of all time. Like, the funniest, most petty, like, conspiracy of and all time. potentially plausible. I don't know. Potentially plausible. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. It's a total derailer, but go ahead. All right. We got to move quick, Nick. I have so much more I want to talk about. Yes. Um, the Tour de France is a absolutely super fun thing to look into. There's lots of fun little stories. So um, definitely outside of this podcast, you need to go check it out. It's super fun. But anyways, um, so... There's only been a few times where the Tour de France has been missed. Uh, there were only two sections of time where that's happened. Surprise, surprise. One was World War I. Uh, the other one was World War II. Turns out, not a great time oh. to be worrying about riding bikes. I could see that. I could see that. Like I said, there's 21 stages. Uh, these days, it's over a 23-day period, so there's two rest days. It's super interesting to see like modern-day athletes. There's like trackers and stuff like that on their um, recovery uh, from heart, a heart rate perspective and stuff like that. Um, they are absolutely freaks of nature's uh, or freaks of nature. But anyways, there are um, the the time trials. There's the flat stages and the mountain stages. There's different colors of shirts for or jerseys for each of the uh, climbers that do the best in that particular area. Um, <clears throat> or oh, cool! Yeah, yeah. So, so this I knew. Yeah, so there's like yellow jersey for the leader. There's the green jersey for the best sprinter. Polka dot jersey for the best climber, and um, the best young, like highest uh, ranked young guy under 25. Uh, has a white jersey and there's other things like depending on where you finished in your um, in your country your jersey is a little bit different and nick this will be a big shocker um there's also a bunch of stuff with advertising uh about all those things above Um, hold on hold on allow me to express my shock (laughs) gasp gasp all right i probably made that joke before but i don't care no, we. I, I do want to. I want to hop back into the advertising thing because I think it's super interesting. But first, I want to talk about the Peloton. Do you? Does this mean anything to you, Nick? If nope. I say Peloton, the Peloton, Peloton, not the brand that is the the thing that makes the bikes oh. and the, the treadmills these days. No, but. no, no. I don't know anything about the Peloton. Okay, I'm out of touch. the the Peloton is uh, in reference to the group of riders and how they uh, navigate through the race uh, through these absolute ridiculously long races to maximize the uh, effectiveness from a crowd 
and they have different and this is something that is coordinated not even like just within as a particular team this is something that all of these uh these participants in the tour de france know how it works there oh, are so is, it, is this just utilizing drafting or whatever the same way uh race cars do and stuff it's, like i i know very little about that just that like you can yeah, get less wind I, resistance because I you're behind somebody i can't really do it justice without a visual element it's like okay. that but like turn to 11 it is not just drafting it's also how do you maximize a group's speed if the wind is a headwind or if the wind is a tailwind or if the wind is a sidewind like they have all these different formations okay. and, ro- and rotations for maximizing the speed it is it is what like like legitimately the coordination amongst these people who do not practice together but they all understand how this works to be able to uh continually improve year after year after year on speeds it's just absolutely mind-boggling that that is something that they can do but nick the the way that that uh, like obviously not everybody can participate that they, they, they can't just like all cross the finish line together. Right. Right. Um, what happens from there is a team typically, uh, will break off from the Peloton and attempt to, uh, do like a more efficient ver Like I shouldn't say more efficient, but the most efficient that they can with the small group to get a little bit ahead for the person that they are trying to have, uh, win either that stage or the race in general, and okay. w- what I found was most interesting about all this is like, it, like this, this is not a sport that can be won by a single person. It's often thought of as like, you think of Lance Armstrong, for example, but it is uh, it, like, there's zero percent chance that he could do it without having a team of people that were willing to absolutely kill themselves at one of the most difficult sports like honestly and i'll yeah just stats here it is like the most difficult athletic accomplishment that these people are just sacrificing themselves for for the other person on their team to have a chance to win it is it is very wild it's very wild they're the uh they're the uh the one guy in uh talladega nights the the (laughs) Thank you, Nick. Wow, way to way to bring some class to this podcast. I appreciate that. <laughs> it's true, though. Like, oh it's, my it's, gosh! But it's actively true. Like that makes perfect sense to me, and it's also like kind of sad, and also like kind of noble. It's 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 really cool. Like I I've never considered that. I mean, it makes sense, and I I've always assumed that the reason that they ride in a pack is uh, to try to just take advantage of the draft off of other people, and like, but. I mean, it makes sense that the, that. Uh, so, how does um, how does uh, the how does it help when I, when you have a tailwind? I like I'm totally out of touch, but how how would it help to have to be riding behind somebody or like in a pack with a tailwind? I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. You you need to research that yourself, okay, listener, and also Nick. There that's was fair. like this like visual that I saw where it was like this is how you handle like this is how the peloton handles all the different directions of wind to maximize their efficiency. So maybe maybe tailwind's not even one of them, but it is okay. very interesting to see how they adapt, and it's it's very very cool to see like the rotation that they do. Um, but Nick, I. I was absolutely blown away by uh, just how uh, fit these people are. Um, I, I don't think that there is any argument. Honestly, if you look into this, these are the most fit individuals on the planet. Oh, yeah. 
um, their their resting heart rate, like on average, for there was like a like a study of a different team that didn't even do that good. I think um, their average resting heart rate before the race was like forty beats per minute. There are some of the more elite athletes that have uh, a resting heart rate around twenty nine or twenty eight to thirty, which is like. I'm not sure how much you pay attention to that sort of stuff, Nick. That's very low. Yeah, that's very, very that's, low. That's uh, very, very uh, so low. I don't pay attention that much, but I also know that's bizarrely low. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not super familiar with like what a professional athlete in other sports would be at or anything like that. Um, but that's that's quite low. I, I would say like elite athletes probably have between 50 to 60. And the typical you and me's of the world would have like, I don't know, 60 to 80. Yeah. Uh, like 28 is buck wild. Like you would, if you were just a normal average looking person and you did that in a hospital, you would have <laughs> like, you, you would be on life support. I'm pretty sure. Um, right. But yeah, no, they, but despite that, they get up to 200 um, uh, beats per minute during their tough mountain climbs, which is also just ridiculously high and a little bit dangerous, actually. Um, there's some, I was gonna say. some talks about that. Um, they, they do that for extremely long periods of time. It's very interesting to see like how that changes over time when they have their rest day. Cause there's two rest days in the tour de France typically, um, these days and like what that looks like. I haven't, um, I obviously can't speak to, um, to, uh, Tour de France, but I, I saw a heart rate graph for a cross-country race a little while ago that was just kind of like per, uh, the peripheral of things that I consume for mountain bike content, and it was like, oh, these guys like just maintain a really high heart rate and then keep pushing it higher when they need to, and like I, I just, I, I feel like it's an incredible amount of exertion, like an incredible testament to these riders that they can maintain such high heart rates for such long periods of time. It's a uh, huge mental thing. Uh, yeah. Too. Like, like it's a physical like feat of excellence, but also like the mental side of that is just ridiculous. Like they, it, they, they, is, they push themselves to ridiculous lengths. There's right. lots and lots of studies about how crazy it is compared to other sports. Um, as far as uh, endurance goes, this is, I, I, I don't even think there's an argument to be made. This is the craziest endurance sport that there is. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, skip some stuff. Let's talk about uh, the fact that there are 15 million spectators uh, throughout the Tour de France, uh, which, Nick, is a lot. I'm not sure if you've been to a sporting game of any sort. That typical stadium <laughs> on on the high side, you're talking like 80,000 people. Um, uh, yeah, fifteen million is quite a lot. Um, but there's also the fact that all these people are all from all kinds of different countries. There are estimated to be somewhere around three billion views for the Tour de France across 200 countries, Oof. making it both in physical and the televised version. The most viewed uh, sporting event in all of, well, sports. And that's, that's crazy. Yeah. What do you think that the – I teased that at the beginning, Nick. What do you think that causes? <laughs> There's – if you have that many people looking at uh, a thing. Hold on. I'm, I'm going to assume it has something to do with selling products. We sell the products – and so yeah. we advertise things. We advertise things, and so we do. 
how this happened was very interesting. It didn't take very long. Uh, it'll it'll be very shocking. shocking. Yeah. Early in the 1900s, I think it maybe made it 20 years or so before uh, advertising started uh, happening. Allow uh, me to say, I will say that that can be somewhat surprising. I know that like advertising, uh, I'm sure that like when I, when I say that, maybe I'm just not giving enough credit to adver- like how much advertising was involved with sports before. But there's like a big resistance to in basketball to uh, jerseys getting the small patch that's like an advertisement in, in the NBA. And I've, uh, I like... I know that the NFL doesn't have it, but like NASCAR cars are just covered top to bottom in ads and like soccer jerseys can sometimes be covered uh, depending on where you're they're playing and stuff. So I, I'm sure it's like somewhat relative and I'm sure that advertise I'm not sure. I know for a fact that advertising has ramped up in recent years. So maybe I'm like, you know, being overly cynical in my uh, my absolute love for for advertising being a part of everything in the world. Uh, no, but sorry, it, continue. Like it was, so so. First off, I'll pause and say they are absolutely riddled with brands nowadays. Um, yeah, <laughs> so that's just is what it is. That's how um, they they make their money. Yep. Uh, so not not surprising, but uh, and honestly, interestingly, which I think I said earlier, maybe I'll cut this out if I already said it uh, a couple times. But yeah, they this is like the least paid. Um, professional sport, uh, which is ridiculous because it is the by far most difficult uh, physically um, sport. It's just the the amount of For effort sure. and preparation that goes into this compared to the compensation is just completely out of balance compared to other sports. Like that's, it is, that's so wild. It, it it is pretty wild. Anyways, you wouldn't can, think you wouldn't think that it would it would uh this that this would be the you'd think that it would be a very obscure sport, not a sport that. I mean, with three billion viewers or whatever for for a single event, the mu- seems yeah, like- the most viewed event, the the Tour de France. Like right. you would you would think that it would be able to at least you know compensate the people that uh, participate, uh, right? In 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 a competitive manner, but no, no, it's not even not even that much more than what it was back in 1903, as far as uh, what the dollar can buy. So, yep. very interesting. But anyways. Um, so early on, there was a thing called the publicity caravan. Uh, it uh, happened pretty early on and formalized uh, early in like the 20s or so where they would follow the racers and they would have all these different ads for things. But do you want to think of Nick? I feel like I feel like you you have you've listened to these sort of things enough. What is a problem with a caravan of companies following racers that maybe would prohibit their effectiveness uh, in the advertising space? Uh, they'd either not keep up, or they would—they wouldn't uh, be able to be in shot for you know, like the shot would be on the the, the caravan, or uh, I'm not sure. Well, and, and like to be clear, like this isn't oh this, a caravan this of is, like cars. This is pre uh, like pre television, right? Right. So. They didn't worry about the shot, but like, like every, like everybody just like, who's gonna stick around to watch the ads after the race, right? Like, yeah. like every okay. everybody left. I, I was thinking like near near the pack, but that's that presents a whole other host of problems too. It's like if you fall behind a little bit, you gotta like dodge cars. You gotta dodge the caravan. It's part of the obstacles of the race. It's like, but 
I'm in a I'm on a bike that's a caravan of trucks. I don't want to I don't want to dodge trucks. Oh well. So there was a chocolate company. Um, again, this I think this was like 1930 um, that wanted to be in front of all of the racers. Uh, it was a company called I'm going to do my best Menier, um, and they paid 50,000 francs to do so, which was like uh, a quarter of the the original max price yeah. for that. So definitely wanted to make some or wanted to make sure that they were able to do so. They uh, obviously uh, wanted to do so because spectators would gather outside of, uh, you know, get outside and get out the road, get out onto the road where the, uh, the races were going to be driving past well before. And so they, they had their trucks with lots of candy and chocolates um, before the racers were getting there so that they could uh, get their brand out. They had like 50,000 or no, I'm sorry, 500,000 uh, hats that had their company's name uh, printed out that first year. <laughs> right. Uh, like they, they definitely saw the opportunity to to grow their brand and did so and uh, was very, 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 very successful. And shockingly uh, enough, it was something that caught on quite a bit. And shocker. Yeah, shocker. So for the next 30 years, um, before television um, and especially like before television advertising was uh, established in France, advertisers could continued to compete for like that uh that leading uh attention um there were i'm just gonna read this part because i feel like this entire quote is pretty ridiculous um motorcycle acrobats performed for toothpaste for a toothpaste maker uh and an accordionist that uh, sentence is such a good sentence (laughs) but motorcycle acrobats perform for toothpaste maker it doesn't nothing else matters after that 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 is a perfect distilled sentence right there good continue uh, there was an accordionist uh, that uh, performed on the roof of one of the vehicles. Uh, Obviously. There's a French name for it. I cannot pronounce it. And I just said, insert French brand name here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, there, though, have been restrictions since then, um, which restricts the amount of excesses that all these advertisers are allowed to go to. Um, the the right- accordionists on top of... <laughs> so this is this is my favorite quote and this is this is how in this section um the writer uh pierre boast lamented and this is right before they uh they banned all of it this caravan of 60 gaudy trucks singing across the countryside it bell and i just also put remove french words here because there's a whole bunch of french stuff and i can't possibly try (laughs) it bellows it plays ugly music it's sad. It's ugly. It smells of vulgarity and of money. End quote. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was the like right before the dawn of the modern uh, restrictions want, on advertising in the Tour de France. So I just bring, I love that. If you could bring the person who who wrote that to twenty twenty one, they'd be oh quite upset. They'd be yeah. quite upset. They'd oh, be like, they would. And all of your mail. All of it. It's all advertising. Oh, my gosh. We are going to go uh, record our Patreon-only podcast, 
uh, which is the year we started another podcast where we talk about some of the other things that are fun and interesting to us. I don't. That's not typically what I say. I, it's just, no, it's it's a more off the cuff uh, format. Off the I don't cuff. know. I don't know what we normally say, but like it's it's definitely more um, like less prepared, but more just like. Uh, Although I, I do I, I do want to say I feel like maybe we went too far. Like, I think I, maybe we, I, we went too unprepared. I came in. You know why? You know why? Because I I actually was doing and you and I were I think we're both doing a topic that was like a Patreon topic of like ah, I don't want to do that on the main show. I, I it ha- I'd have to be too casual. And then the NBA season ruined us. It <laughs> ruined us. I do uh, for the first time I think have one of them that I think is a good Patreon good. Uh, topic. But anyways, um, yeah, if you want to check that out, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash Tywasap. You can also follow us at Tywasap on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. You can find all of that at Tywasap.com. Nicholas, thank you for potting with me. You are welcome, Jeffrey. This has been the year we started the podcast. Thank you all for listening.